0: got your Bible, turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. We've just got two weeks left in Habakkuk. We've been there for a while, hey, I think it's been a couple of months. We've been working our way through this book. And next week, we're going to wrap things up, uh, looking at the last section, verses 17, 18 and 19. And following that, I mentioned this last week through the summer, we're going to just work slowly through uh, Romans chapter 8, just taking a few verses at a time. So if you've got some time before then, why don't you just... Uh, take a few minutes, literally take a few minutes to have a read through Romans eight, uh, nice and slow. We're going to do what we did, in, or tried to do in Philippians, and try and memorize some of the passages in Romans eight. It's one of those chapters with just, um, just full of of just rich gospel truths that remind us of who we are. So if you've got time, uh, why don't you do that? Um, sometimes when you're preparing a sermon and preparing illustrations. You just kind of go with what the Lord brings you and there are um, some things that you think will be helpful for us. This week I prepared my sermon before Friday and then if you've been following the media, some of the things that came out of the media just really affirmed the message that I believe God wants to speak to us this morning. I'm sure all of us uh, have been following the news that uh, came out on Friday of Matt Hancock, the former now health secretary who was caught um, committing adultery, let's call it what it is, with one of his aides in in government. Uh, Matt Hancock, who's been married for 15 years, uh, got two children, uh, and it kind of blew up all over the media, didn't it? It ended up with him yesterday having to resign publicly on Twitter. That's the way it's done now, I think, um, rather than um, other means. And I'm sure most of us just had a little bit of um, I don't know, it, it went it looked like anger for me, but a little bit of frustration with how it was reported, and how the story was interpreted as well. Uh, this man who's been married for a long time with, with young children, committed adultery with a woman who's been married, and the big news was that he didn't social distance. Like that, we've been doing a lot of work, haven't we, over the last few weeks and months, just talking about where the world is at, where the the, the cultural um, kind of force and weight is, and how Christianity really does stand out as as a light amongst the darkness. We've been talking about these two different worldviews, and how Christianity is a different worldview. We've been talking about the individual being the god of our age, right? This kind of expressive. Individualism, which is rampant in our times. And so when we kind of understand the world, as we have been doing over the last few months, actually things being reported in those kind of ways, they shouldn't surprise us anymore. Like we shouldn't be surprised when, when things are reported in such a way that, that we dismiss godly values and we try and affirm the individual and what they say are morals. We're allowed to do that. As individuals were allowed to define what is right and what is wrong, what is offensive and what is not. And in our time, in this place that we live in now, what is more offensive than someone committing adultery on their wife is them not socially distancing themselves as they commit adultery. Like it is laughable. It also shows us how unfaithfulness distorts, divides and destroys. Unfaithfulness, folks, is a rot. And we saw different levels of it with Matt Hancock. We saw unfaithfulness with his wife. Other people saw unfaithfulness to the country as he just broke the rules. We see unfaithfulness to folks all around us all the time. Children being unfaithful to their parents, governments being unfaithful to to the people that they've been in charge to steward. Unfaithfulness in marriage. And every time we see unfaithfulness, folks, I I want us to really just, I want to hammer this home. We see it as a rot that destroys, divides and distorts. That's what unfaithfulness does. We see it all around us in humanity. And folks, we see it in our relationship with God. Our unfaithfulness to God has exactly the same response. Unfaithfulness oh, faithfulness to God, if it is not checked, is a rot that distorts, divides and destroys. Let's read this morning's passage, Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, verses 3 to 16. Keep up with me, this is a tricky passage. Don't kind of tune off. There's some things in there which aren't entirely clear, but let's, let's go together. Let's try and keep up with uh, what Habakkuk is saying. We're halfway through a prayer or a poem or a song that Habakkuk is writing right at the end of this book. This is his last response to God. And we pick it up in verse three. God came from to man and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light of, Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariots of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your, your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they spared at the flash of your glittering spear you marched through the earth in fury you thrust the nations in anger you went out for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked laying him bare from thigh to neck you pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. We've seen so far in Habakkuk, Habakkuk coming and bringing his complaint to God. Judah are in uh, the lowest state they have been in and Habakkuk comes and cries out to God, God, are you not going to do something here? And there's silence, but then God comes and brings an answer and says, yes. I am going to act, God always acts against injustice and sin. He is never idle. And he comes and he says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, raise up the Chaldeans to come and execute judgment for me. And Habakkuk comes and says, that's too far. Like I wanted you to do something, but that just feels like a little bit too much. Have you not seen the Babylonians? Have you not seen how wicked they are? Like we're bad, God. But the Babylonians are on another level and God says it's coming. But the righteous in the midst of that will live by faith. And we see this almost just the separation of the people who are going to go into, the, into exile. There will be those who are righteous. And there will be those who are unrighteous who will suffer under the judgment of God. But for the righteous, the weight that they feel is not punitive, is not punishment from God. It is his loving discipline. Haven't we seen and been learning how God will not allow any part of our suffering he will not allow any tear that we shed to be wasted he he is always at work in his people bringing about our good and his glory but judgment is coming for judah exile is coming and habakkuk is readying himself and readying the people As they go into exile. Remember this is a song or a poem that they would have sung together. As the Babylonians came and took them away. It's a song that they would have sung together. While they were in this foreign land under a foreign ruler. Under oppression they would have sung this song together. And Habakkuk is getting them ready for it. Let's not forget the reason they are going into exile. Is because they have been unfaithful. God's people have been unfaithful towards him. And Habakkuk, over the last few weeks, we've seen is coming to a place where he sees it and he admits it. And and he's able to say, Yeah, you're right. He's no longer pushing against God and trying to move God's judgment out of the way from the Babylonians. He's he's accepting that it is right. You're right, God. You're right. We're in the midst of exile coming, in the midst of suffering coming, in the midst of the weight of this wicked ruler being upon God's people, Habakkuk does something profoundly helpful. In the passage we just read there, he reorientates their gaze. Last week we saw to see God's mercy. This week we see he reorients their gaze to see God's faithfulness. He turns their face to look back at history and see God's faithfulness. You know, through the Bible, you have these different strands that, that God uses to, to communicate with us how he relates to us. And, and one of the most beautiful ways he does that is this, this picture, this analogy, this uh, metaphor of marriage. God being a good husband and his people, us, his church, being his bride. And, and what we see is God's intention for this to be a holy marriage. To be a marriage, a covenant that we're brought into where husband and wife, God and his people live together, flourish together. The husband protecting, the husband stewarding, the husband pouring into his bride. and, And the bride in willing submission, obeying and walking with their husband. But what do we see right from the first pages of scripture? We mess it up. The bride messes it up. But God pursues us uses the strong metaphor of marriage. We see it in uh, lots of places. In Hosea chapter 2, don't uh, worry about 10 in here if you can't find it. Hosea chapter 2 verses 19 to 20, we, uh, that's Jeremiah, sorry, we hear this. It is one of those books that you have to look at a little bit for. Hosea chapter 2 verses uh, 19 to 20, God says, I will betroth you to me, forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. God's saying, I'm going to bring you in. You will be my bride. My people will be my bride and I will be a faithful husband to you. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, God says this, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. See this powerful picture of husband and bride. God being faithful towards his bride. And then we see it in the New Testament, don't we? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul really builds out this picture. And we see clearly God's love towards us shown through Jesus Christ. The perfect husband to us, the church, his bride. If we go back to Habakkuk, Judah are about to enter into exile. They're about to enter into this painful season of suffering and oppression. And Habakkuk is readying the people. He is preparing the people. And what he wants to do is to, is to pull their gaze towards the faithfulness of God. Him being a faithful husband towards us. Remember Babylon are this superpower. And yes they're going to be oppressive but also they're going to be attractive. God's people are going to enter into this foreign land and God gives them commands, don't do what they do, be distinctive, be different, be my people and don't we find that, haven't we even found that over the last few days, God's people are different, we think differently, we see morals differently and God wants us to be different as we live in a foreign land and as Judah get ready to go into Babylon, this superpower, this place of wealth and beauty and power and privilege, the pull towards Judah to be in like Babylon is going to be strong, the pull for them to to push back on their relationship with God and walk in unfaithfulness to God is going to be strong. The temptation for them to compromise from being the bride of God to fraternizing with God's enemy is going to be strong. And so Habakkuk reminds them and pulls their gaze back to their faithful husband, God back in chapter three of Habakkuk there, he uses two specific events, taking their gaze back through history to see God's faithfulness. He uses two uh, specific events. Folks, we're not going to go through verse by verse. This is a passage. If you've got any SV Bible, you'll see in some of the footnotes there that even the translators are struggling to understand what's going on here. Like you've got literally the most brainy men and women sat around a table trying to interpret what's going on in this passage. And this is what they say. The meaning of the Hebrew line is uncertain. They're kind of like... We don't really know, but God's saying something. But we can see in the big picture that what God is doing, what Habakkuk is doing, is showing us God's faithfulness. And there are two events that he pulls God's people back to. He says, Look back to the Exodus, look back to how God used Moses. And then the second um, example, he kind of gives this picture of a mighty warrior, God being a mighty warrior, defending his people, leading his people, protecting his people. Uh, And in the midst of all the verses, everything that's going on there, he gives the example of Joshua and as God's people walk into the promised land. So just briefly, let's walk through a little bit of this. In verse 3, the first example that Habakkuk pulls them back to to see God's faithfulness, uh, the exodus. In verse 3, he talks about Taman and Mount Paran. These were places in the Sinai wilderness. You'll come across those uh, words as you read through the narrative back in Exodus. He's talking about the time where God's people were led through the wilderness. God led them. And in verse 4, he's he's alluding to God uh, led them um, um, through a a pillar of cloud and a pillar of light. And in verse 4, you see that's how God's glory led his people out. God's glory was shown in light and in power and he was veiled from from his people. But he did meet with them in a special way. In verse five, we see pestilence and plague. That should kind of take us back to, remember the Exodus story of the plagues there and how God leads his people out. In verse six, we see the nations are shaken and that's how Egypt are left. As God does his thing, brings his people out, liberates them from slavery, Egypt are left shaken. And in the midst of these first few passages we have a wonderful promise at the end of verse 6 his were the everlasting ways the faithfulness that we see of God leading his people out of slavery god is always that faithful god his faithfulness is everlasting it was it was true back then for god's people and it is true for god's people as they are walking into exile and it is true for god's people now his faithfulness endures forever his faithfulness is everlasting Habakkuk is pulling them back to see the Exodus. And then in verses 7 to 15, he shows them this picture of the mighty warrior. In verse 7, he talks about Cush and Midian. These were enemies of God's people. And we see this mighty warrior bringing um, um, salvation for God's people from his enemies. And then in verse 11, we see this reference to the sun and the moon standing still. Some of us will remember this from Joshua Chapter 11, God has led his people into the promised land through Joshua. And and they're taking ground. Week by week, day by day, they're taking ground and they're winning God's enemies. And they come across a great enemy of God's people and they're fighting all of the day. And Joshua comes to God and says, can you just make the sun and the moon stand still? We need to finish this off. And for the first time in history, and probably maybe the last time God does it, The sun literally stops in its place. The moon stops in its place in order that God's people will be saved from their enemies. God is faithful to bring about the salvation of his people. And then in the midst of these few passages, we see this wonderful promise again in verse 13. You went out for what? The salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. God is always faithful to save his people. God saved his people from slavery in Egypt. God brought his people in and through the promised land and saved them from their enemies. That was all God's work. It wasn't wasn't uh, um, God's people's work. It was all him. He was faithful to save. He was faithful to liberate. In the season of trial that Habakkuk is about to walk into with God's people, Habakkuk is calling them to look back Look back and be assured and see God's faithfulness. Judah, has God ever failed us? No. Has God ever abandoned us? No. Has God ever been unfaithful to us? No. We can see generation after generation after generation. God has always been faithful. His faithfulness is everlasting. God takes the reality of God's faithfulness in the past and applies it to Habakkuk's future In order to give him hope in the present. He does the same for Judah. Takes the reality of God's faithfulness in their past. Applies it to their future to give them hope in the present. That's what he does. And in verse 16, he comes to this place. I hear Exile is coming, Babylon are coming, I hear. And my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk is honest here. He's scared. Suffering is coming, trial is coming. He is going to have to enjoy and be one of God's people in a foreign land. And he is honest He's saying, I'm standing here and my legs are shaking. My knees are knocking together. This is a real emotional response. And can I just just maybe come aside from it and just encourage that? You know, when suffering and trial comes, like God doesn't expect us just to be robots and have this kind of clinical face where we're like, it's all for God's God's glory and our good and, and have a smile on our face. No, he wants us to be real. God meets us in the tears. God meets us in the trembling. God meets us in the real and raw suffering that we endure when we sit as people in a foreign land. waging war against our sin. Feeling the oppression of the world around us. Habakkuk is real with his emotions before God. (laughs) He feels it. And then this last verse. Yet. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. God has said he will deal with Babylon. Babylon Babylon are going to come and they're going to execute God's judgment on his behalf, but, but they're not going to get away with it. God will judge them. Habakkuk knows that already. Habakkuk knows that is coming. He comes to a place. Having looked at the reality of God's faithfulness in the past, He's able to apply it to his future and see that God has everything in hand. He will save his people and that gives him hope in his present. He's saying, Judah, look back. See the faithfulness of God and be assured beyond doubt that he will be faithful now and in the future. And allow that assurance to bring us peace in the here and now i will quietly wait yes my knees are fallen beneath me but i know because what i know of god because he has been faithful that he will be faithful and so i can sit in peace let me apply this for us here and now because the reality for us is our future is uncertain right there were people sat here last week who thought they would be here today they're not dead, they're just isolated don't worry but things change right we don't know what's coming around the corner our futures are uncertain statistics would say sickness is probably just around the corner for some of us pain is around the corner suffering is around the corner if it is not already here but we can be sure of one thing folks As we look towards the future and see what might be coming, we can be sure of one thing. God's people can be sure of the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness is everlasting. Always has been. It is now and it always will be. Folks, I think most of us know that. I think most of us know and hear the message, God is a faithful God. But I just want to help us actually see biblically that this is true. Because although we know it, I think some of us struggle to live it. Like we know that God is faithful and he will be faithful. But we struggle to live in that reality, in the present. So let me quickly just give us three reminders of how we see God's faithfulness. In the Bible, Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, we see that God is faithful to be with us. Deuteronomy 31 says, the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with us, folks. We are never on our own. We never struggle on our own. We are never in this foreign land on our own. He is faithful to be with us. He never leaves us. See, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8, that God is faithful to sustain us. Paul says, Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end. Not just through, through the next few days, not just through this week, not just through this part of suffering, but all the way to the end. Like, you know what he means when he's talking about end, right? Like, like, until you breathe your last breath, God will sustain you. He will give you what you need. He says he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God will sustain you. He will, he will be faithful to sustain you. And let's not forget who he's talking to there, Corinth. Like we know a little bit about the church in Corinth, right? Like none of us here are kind of heckling out in this service. None of us have got lawsuits against each other. None of us are are doing all the other stuff that, that we know was going on in Corinth, right? None of us are going that far. And if he's going to be faithful to them and sustain them, wouldn't he sustain us? Here's the last one. God will be faithful to work in you. Don't think that you're just here to suffer until the end. God wants to do a work through you. Philippians 1 verse 6. I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is doing a work in you now. He will do a work in you. And he will continue to work that out for his glory, for your good, until the day when you're standing before Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness is unchanging, uncompromising, and immovable. Do we get that? God is faithful. But what about you? What about you? God is faithful towards his bride. But if we come back to this analogy, this illustration of marriage, are we faithful to him? As the world pulls us, as sin (laughs) entices us, as the dark cloud of suffering comes towards us, will we be faithful to trust in God no matter how long it takes? That's what Habakkuk is saying, right? I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He doesn't know when that is going to come. But he says, I'm going to trust you and wait until it does. Endure to the end. Folks, we know that faithfulness to God is not a theological concept, right? Like it's not something that we can just read in a book and be like, yeah, I've got that, I can take that off. Faithfulness to God is a relationship orientation. It's about walking with someone. Martin Luther King says this or said this, Christianity has no meaning devoid of Christ. The noble principles of Christianity remain abstract until they are personified in a person called Christ. Christ becomes the center or the pivotal point around which everything in the Christian faith revolves. Christianity has no meaning apart from Christ. We can know all there is to know about the faithfulness, the doctrine of the faithfulness of God. We can know all of that, but Martin Luther King says it means nothing unless it it is founded and rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God has not called us to be faithful to a cause, faithful to a religion, Faithful to this church. Like they are good things, but primarily he's called us to be faithful to him. Faithful to Jesus. Like a lover's type of loyalty. That's what he wants. So let me give us three ways of what that could look like for us. What does it look like for us to be faithful to God in the culture, in the time that we live in? What does it look like for us to be faithful towards Jesus, knowing that he has been faithful to us? Well, first, I think we need to stand in biblical faithfulness. Biblical faithfulness. And here's what I mean by that. There are so many truths out there. So many truths, so many worldviews, so many ways to live that we are encouraged to follow. What we need and confuse in confusing times, folks, is truth. And the place that we find truth is here. We need to be biblically faithful. I love the picture in Acts chapter twenty. Paul has spent three years with the church in Ephesus, and he's getting ready to go on a boat. And in uh, verses uh, twenty-six to thirty-one, don't worry about ten in there. But Paul is. Pour his heart out to the elders, like this is him just sharing through tears. He's 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 loved these people, he's poured into them, he's invested into them, and he gets the elders aside and he just gives them a few last instructions. He says, This I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas, to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. And then he talks about wolves coming into the church, seeking to devour and pull people away and pull them into the world and encourage them to indulge in the things of the flesh. And Paul is saying, I've done everything I needed to do because I was faithful to this. He encourages them towards biblical faithfulness. And think of what Ephesus was like. Some of us know a little bit about what the culture was like then. Biblical faithfulness in Ephesus would have stuck out like a sore thumb. And biblical faithfulness today sticks out like a sore thumb. We know that even the way our minds have been working and processing over the last 48 hours, biblical faithfulness... Sticks out like a sore thumb. William Still, who was um, a nineteenth-century abolitionist, said this: "It is impossible to be faithful to Jesus, and not incur the opposition of the world." It's impossible to be faithful to Jesus and not incur the opposition of the world. To be biblical faithful is not going to be easy for us folks. It's going to be painful going to require sacrifice. It's going to require loss. It's going to require our reputation to go downward instead of upwards. It's going to require us grieving loved ones who just will not listen to the truth that we're trying to lead them into. It is going to be painful, but can I convince you that God says it is a better way to live? Biblical faithfulness is not a road to slavery, folks. It's a road out of slavery. It's a road to freedom. It's a road to true life. It's a road to flourish. And no matter what the world will tell us, even this weekend as we walk through the city, they will try and convince us this is the way to live. This is the way to life. This is the way to flourish as a human being. And God says it isn't. It's driving you deeper and deeper into darkness and despair. If you want to live, listen to what I have to say about life because I made it. Biblical faithfulness, folks. It's going to be painful, but it is always better. The second way I want to encourage us towards faithfulness is covenantal faithfulness. So a covenant being a, a promise, a bond that we are brought into. Think of marriage again. Marriage is a covenant. It promises that two people make to each other, rejecting all others around. Folks, as we come and just think of the covenant that we have been brought into with God, can I encourage us? To walk away from all that the world will try and convince us into into a place of compromise. To reject the world and and where it will try and convince us and and tell us and teach us that that those ways are better ways to live over and above what scripture says to us. Reject those things. One of the saddest verses in the Bible comes at the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy. In chapter 4 verse 10. And he talks about a brother, Demas, who's been walking with him someone who he thought was faithful, someone who he thought he could rely on. And and it must have broken Paul's heart as he wrote to Timothy and he said, Demas in love with the world has deserted me. Let us not be Demases, brothers and sisters. Let us have a covenantal faithfulness to God where we reject the law of the world and the, the marriage that the world will try and bring us into and we stand steadfastly in love with our God. And can I warn us, it starts by tolerating small things. Like we don't just wake up tomorrow morning and think, right, I'm done with you, God. I'm going to go with the world. It starts with small things that become insidious as they grow. So even in the small sin, even in the small idolatry, put it to death. Get rid of it. Don't let it take a foothold. Walk in covenantal faithfulness with your God. William Inge, a writer and author, an Anglican priest says this, whoever marries the spirit of this age will find himself a widower in the next. Oh, that's a warning folks. Whoever marries the spirit of this age, whether it's individualism, kind of trying to find freedom in yourself or in the world, whatever it is, he says, if you marry that, you have everything to lose. Let us walk faithfully in covenant faithfulness with our God. A covenant of life, can I remind us? A covenant in which we find protection and care and love. And here's the final thing I'd want us just to be reminded of as we think of being a faithful bride to our great husband. All of this talk of faithfulness, all of the talk of us being a faithful people, whether it's biblical faithfulness, whether it's covenantal faithfulness, We need to remember that this is all, faithfulness is all rooted in the gospel. The faithfulness which I'm calling us to and reminding us of this morning is not duty driven, it is love driven. Like you think of some of the marriages in this church. What would we think of the husbands and wives if they were just engaged in that marriage because they had to? Like they just love their, their wife or love their husband because they have to, because they made this promise and, and they, they just wake up each, each morning and, and make the breakfast because they have to and there's no love involved at all. Like what would we think of those marriages? Now we love one another. We love our spouses. We love our husbands. We love our wives. Faithfulness primarily should be driven by love. God uh, Habakkuk calls Judah to look back Look back at the Exodus. Look look back at the time of the judges and the kings and see God's faithfulness towards us. Allow the faithfulness of God to stimulate our faithfulness. As we stand in a troubled time, that's what he's doing. Folks, as we look back, what do we see? We see God's faithfulness through the Exodus. Yeah, we see God's faithfulness as he brought his people into the promised land. We see God's faithfulness chapter after chapter and we see God's faithfulness. At the cross of Jesus Christ. I wonder if anyone came to this point as you were thinking about Matt Hancock and his adultery. Like for so much time I've been angry and I've been like, come on guys, Like, can you not see really what the great offence is here? Like forget social distancing, let's be honest, we've all broke the rules, Like, let's not pretend we're holy, we've all done it. And we want to point the finger at him because he's not social distance. Let's see what's and I've been getting so angry and so frustrated and thinking, would someone just please stand up for, for faithful marriage in this country? And you know what I felt as I was preparing this? God turned to me and say, That's you. You've been unfaithful to me. <sighs> now I'm not saying we shouldn't. We shouldn't want to protect marriage and speak well of marriage and view things the right right way ramble. Folks, we need to see that we have all walked unfaithfully to our husband. We have all committed spiritual adultery. We haven't got clean hands. What a God we have who's stuck with us, who's faithfully walked with us who has pursued us in love who has not abandoned us and it's not even like he sees us in our adultery and comes alongside us and he's like okay well we just got to keep on going we've got to ride this out we'll do it for the kids no he he pours into us he loves us he sustains us he wants us to grow he wants us to flourish what kind of husband is that That's the husband that every single one of us, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, has. A faithful husband. We see his faithfulness towards us at the cross. It was us who put him there. It was our spiritual adultery. It was our unfaithfulness to put him there. Yet Jesus bled and suffered and died for you and I. There's a faithful God, folks. As Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He took all of our unfaithfulness on his shoulders and he suffered the judgment and the wrath for it. He suffered and died for our sin. And three days later when he rose again, he gave us everything that he had. Isn't that a wonderful picture, folks? It's not just a picture, that's our reality. That in Jesus Christ, we have been brought back in. The unfaithful have received Everything. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, we read this, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wow. That's true for you, brother and sister. If you are a Christian this morning, your sins have been forgiven. You have been cleansed and you have received the righteousness of Christ. Once and for all, you have been forgiven for all of your sins. And if you're not a believer this morning, that is the promise being held out to you, you unfaithful, just like the rest of us in this room, an offer of cleansing from your unfaithfulness, an offer of forgiveness, an offer of being brought into the place where you can be cared for, loved, and nourished, a relationship with God. As we walk in faithful, faithfulness with God, folks, our Our motive is not to please God. Our motive is not out of duty. Our motive should be love. In response to the faithfulness that he has shown us. In response to the constant pursuing of us. I love this promise in Timothy again, 2 Timothy 2 verse 30. Don't let that crush us. Don't let this kind of call to faithfulness crush us. Because God says this, if we are faithless, He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God's faithfulness is not rooted in how he feels. It's his nature. He'll always be faithful towards his people. It, It is who he is. He can't not be faithful to us because that is who he is, a faithful God towards his people. And so even as we try and walk faithfully and we stumble and fall and commit spiritual adultery again, he's still there, loving us, pursuing us. As I close, I want to just remind us and just bring this reality, give us a reality check. Ecclesiastes says this, the dark days will be many. We don't know the future, but we do know it probably will be hard. We have a faithful God who will sustain us, who will work with us, who will not abandon us, who has dealt with our sin and who remains faithful to his bride. Let us take the reality of God's faithfulness in the past apply it to our future to give us hope in our present my great hope for us folks is that as we do that just like Habakkuk does we will be able to sit quietly and trust him let's pray